0: It's uh, lovely to be with you. I uh, had the privilege of opening your series last year, "Great Failures of the Bible," and uh, that's a great failure of the world to come and teach it. And uh, there we are. Um, I have a confession. I feel a bit uh, anxious because uh, I have never preached on a Sunday without a tie before. Uh, so, uh, so that's really something. That's the influence of rich on my uh, my wife and my daughter I, I think but uh, uh, there we are shall we just pray Heavenly Father we, uh, it, what a privilege it is just to join together with people raising their voices in song uh, to the glory of yourself you are God alone God in three persons blessed Trinity and we've just sung How great is our God. Heavenly Father, all those things are true. And we do ask, Heavenly Father, that you would take the words of this mere man and speak to the hearts of your people, Father. Uh, Build us up. Make us strong in the Gospel. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, we've got the picture up here. I actually love the sea. I I prefer to be by the seaside than on it, uh, but I've been on it a few times. Uh, In all that time there's only been once, I think, uh, when I've been on a ship and the sea has been as rough as it is up there. Uh, I, I just wanted at that time to be anchored somewhere. Calm and sheltered out of the way because it was rocking an awful lot. So even my wife came out of the shop on board and, and uh, the jewellery shop on board, it must have been rough, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, went, uh, went to the cabin. Uh, unfortunately, it took about 12 hours before we were actually anchored in a calm and sheltered place. And our lives, aren't they, are uh, often much more tempestuous uh, than the sea. Uh, families and and friends and neighbours and health and work and money and jobs and education, everything uh, that touches our lives uh, can bring storms into our everyday world. So we need a firm anchor an anchor that will hold an anchor that will keep us safe. Uh, And for Christians uh, that anchor is God. Uh, And the Nicene Creed tells us about what our God is like. It helps us uh, to understand who God is, to know him better, uh, for the purpose that we might trust him more. So, what's a creed then? Um, I studied, it was a long, long time ago, but I studied on the Manner Estate, you won't believe it, Latin for two years. And then my teacher said she thought I'd be better off doing woodwork. Uh, She was right, actually. (laughs) But one of the few things I can uh, remember is that creed is from a Latin word, credo. It means, I believe. All right? So that tells us what a creed is. It's an expression of what God's people uh, believe. And why do we have uh, creeds? Well, creeds uh, protect us. They help us to know what's true, And they stop us from making mistakes, so we're protected from danger. If you were about to get into a car and drive it and the car had no brakes, well, you'd want somebody to warn you, wouldn't you? And that's what a creed does about the Christian faith. Uh, And if we want to be saved, then we need to believe the right things about the Lord Jesus. Believe the wrong thing and you'll not be saved. So the creeds help us believe the right thing about Jesus. And creeds help us answer some very difficult questions about God, Trinity, Jesus, salvation, creation, Spirit. So the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. What's all that about? It just happens to be true. The creeds help us with questions like that. And the Nicene Creed uh, helps us to teach others uh, what the Christian faith is when we use A creed, we tell the world what we believe. The word of God teaches us. So, the Nicene Creed is sound, biblical teaching about God and his work. The Nicene Creed is one of God's gifts to us, actually. And our Nicene Creed begins, We believe in one God. Okay? Now, it's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't begin with the words, We believe in the following things about says we believe in and there's a difference you know between what you believe about something and whether or not you believe in something what you believe about something has to do with your head it's about what you think is true but when we believe in it that has to do with our heads and our hearts it has to do with uh, believing it to be true but trusting in it believing even when we've not seen there's a difference between believing about and believing in. In the Bible there's a story of a centurion who uh, sent to Jesus because his servant was desperately ill. And actually Jesus didn't care, he really didn't care what the centurion believed about. Jesus says what made this centurion's faith so stunning, so astounding, so amazing is that the centurion actually believed in Jesus. Jesus. And as people, we need to move from belief about to belief in. Christians are people who have done that, move from belief about to people who believe in. Uh, Today, for lots of people, when they say, we believe in God, they mean, given my uncertainty as to whether there is a God or not, well, uh, my opinion's yes. Uh, It's not like that for people who are Christians. We don't believe... About God. We believe in God. And then the Nicene Creed, it begins with that word, we. Uh, Think of what that means. The Nicene Creed is not the belief of an individual, just one person. It's the belief of the whole body of Christ, the whole church. The faith that we confess is our faith, not just my faith. It expresses what we believe. It expresses the character of our faith as a community. We believe. As Christians, we join with other people who believe. Christianity is most definitely not an individualistic religion. It is personal, but it's not individualistic. Uh, And together, in community, uh, when we say the creed, we express God-breathed faith of the Scriptures Given to the church. So we believe together as Christians in this church. We believe together with other Christians in Rotherham. We believe together with other Christians in South Yorkshire. We believe together with other Christians in the UK. We believe together with other Christians in Europe. We believe together with other Christians in the world, even those Christians who are in danger of losing their life in Iraq and Nigeria and all those other difficult spots. We believe. God has always meant for our faith to be communal. The we of the creed requires belonging and it points us to our duties and our responsibilities to our neighbour. Have you noticed that our society becomes more and more impersonal everywhere you go, even in restaurants. Everyone's on their smartphone, apart from me, because I don't have a smartphone. Uh, But kids are on Facebook, dad's looking up at something on Google, and mummy's texting. We live in this kind of virtual world, and uh, sometimes it's harder to relate to and cooperate with other people. But actually relationships and cooperation is what Christianity is all about and then we have we believe well the Greek word for believe much more, means much more than saying yes in our heads it means to trust and to have faith, we believe, we trust we have faith in what we say and what we do are always connected there should be no difference between uh, what we believe and how we live To believe is to trust, and to trust is to believe, and to believe is to follow. And we follow the one God, the Father Almighty, who is the maker of all things. We believe, we trust, we have faith. And the creed is the summary of the gospel message. If we believe the creed, then we believe the gospel. To have the gospel as expressed in the creed is to have the words of eternal life. And that means for us, for our children, for grandchildren, for those who grow up learning the creed, they grow up knowing the gospel message. And what a blessing is that. And we believe in one God. This belief about one God has its roots in something very important that the people of Israel used to say. You can find it in Deuteronomy. If you look it up, I think it's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We believe in one God, the God of Israel in the Old Testament. He's also the God of the church in the New Testament. It's the same God, it's the same story, it's not a different God and a different story. And it's impossible to fully understand what the Creed says about Jesus, the Father, The Holy Spirit, apart from the Old Testament, and it's impossible to fully understand the Old Testament apart from Jesus and God, uh, the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God. Whether it's God the Father in the Old Testament, Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, they are all one God. The one God confessed by Christians is the God of creation, as well as the God of salvation. The New Testament story of redemption through grace continues the Old Testament story of creation and covenant. The same God who created the world and recreates it through the work of Jesus, his son, as Jude put it, to the only God, our Saviour. We believe in one God. This one God is better than all the other gods men may worship when this God created a people out of nothing in the Exodus from Egypt way back in the Old Testament. He showed himself to be better than all the gods that the Egyptians worshipped and they had lots of them. When this God conquered the inhabitants of Canaan, the promised land, he showed himself much superior to all the gods that the Canaanites worshipped and they had many of them. The Lord is a great God, says Psalm 95, and a great king above all other gods. We believe in one God. Whether was the children of Israel in the Old Testament or the early church in the New Testament, the people of God have always been surrounded by people who believed in many gods. And belief in many gods is a belief that comes from people's imagination. But in Christianity, God reveals himself to people. He speaks and creatures are to look up and listen and respond with worship. We believe in one God. Does that mean Christianity is no different to Judaism or Islam? Because they also believe in one God. Well, Christianity agrees with Judaism and Islam that there is only one God who is the source of all uh, and the goal of all that exists. But it does differ from them in this. It says that God He's not only one. He is three persons. One God, but three persons. So while Christians confess this oneness of God with Jews and Muslims, we confess this threeness of that oneness in the person of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if you're confused about that, well, ask him. Ask him. <laughs> or, or come over the next few weeks and uh, it should become a bit clearer. We believe in one God. And uh, for the final part of our time together, I want to think about who is this God that I believe in, that you believe What's he like? If we want an anchor, if we need an anchor, and we do, if we're going to believe, have faith in, put our trust in one God, what's he like? Are we, are we wise to do that? And to do that, I want us to work from A a verse you'll find it very difficult to come uh, You'll need to know your Bibles inside out to look this up. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. It's the first verse in the Bible. I'm sure you know it well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in this verse we uh, see some of God's key attributes... Attributes. Well, that's just a fancy word for saying something that's true about God. And you will know a lot of things that are true about God already. You'll know that God is loving. You'll know that God is just. You'll know that God is merciful. You'll know that God is gracious. But there are some other things that I want us to have a look at as well. You see, there are two different kinds of attributes of God. There are things that are true about God that are also true about you and me. We know that God is loving and I can become more loving as I grow into his likeness. We know that God is merciful and I can become more merciful as I grow more and more like Jesus. Well, we know that God is all-powerful but can I become all-powerful Well, I can try really hard, but actually it's impossible, isn't it? I can't become, I can never become all powerful. So there are things about that are true about God that are only true about God, and they can't come down to us. And these are the things I want to look at as we think about the God that we believe in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, And from that verse, we learn that God. And God alone uh, created. When Moses was writing Genesis, he knew where the Israelites came from before they wandered in the desert. They came from Egypt. And the Egyptians worshipped lots and lots of gods. Uh, and Moses knew where the Israelites were going after they would wandered in the desert. Canaan. And the Canaanites worshipped lots and lots of gods. Uh, so, Moses is writing, saying to the Israelites that is not where you came from that is not what we believe that's not where you're going that's not what we believe either we believe in one God who creates and that God alone in the beginning, wrote Moses God created the heavens and the earth and what did this one God create? He created the heavens and the earth And if we're going to look at what God created, we'd look up, wouldn't we, the heavens, and then we'd look down at the earth. And the idea is that one God created everything, everything that you see, wherever you see it, God created it. Don't you want to be attached to, anchored in, the God who is all-powerful? When we understand that God created all of it, it follows pretty easily to me that God must know all of it. Sometimes we, we struggle, you know, to understand that God can have all knowledge. But when we realise that God made everything, everything that there is to have knowledge about, it follows that he knows everything uh, that there is to know about it. That's an attribute of God that's really important for us, that God is all-knowing. He's uh, unlimited In his knowledge, he has complete and total knowledge about his creation. And his creation is macro scale, enormous, huge, gigantic. And it's macro, micro, sorry, tiny, tiny things, incredibly tiny scale. So God knows everything there is to know, not just about the earth that we can see, He knows about the heavens that we can only see a part of. About our galaxy, about our universe. Things that spiral way out into space that however long we travel, we'll never gain any knowledge of. But God knows and understands them absolutely perfectly. Not because he's learned about them, but because he put them there. He already knows everything. God has a perfect knowledge of everything in this big scale sense. And he has perfect knowledge of everything in the micro sense. He didn't just create galaxies and universes. He created cells and and atoms. He knows everything that there is to know about the electron circling the nucleus of every atom that exists and all those tiny quarks and I don't understand physics but uh, you go on and they're always discovering more particles God created them, God knows that they're every one of them God has unlimited knowledge of everything Uh, there's a writer who I like to read from time to time, his name is A.W. Tozer and he put it like this, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters all mind and every mind all spirit and every spirit, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities all laws and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas all feeling, all desires, all secrets, all thrones and dominions all personalities, all things visible and invisible, in heaven and earth ocean, space, time, life, death good, evil, heaven and hell I can only go, wow, (laughs) if only I could. Isn't that incredible? God knows all of that. This is the God who creates. He knows everything. And when we compare ourselves to him, how much do we know? Not so much. And this should warn you, that when you go off and do what seems right to you on the basis that no one will know, God is the ultimate eye witness. Your creator always knows. And that should be a comfort to you as well. Because when you are in the valley of the shadow of death, when you are in the most difficult dark night of the soul, doesn't it mean something to you that the God who created everything, he knows. He knows. He knows everything. About your situation. God is unlimited in His knowledge. He created everything and so He understands everything. Don't you want your anchor to be the God of the all knowing? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the next thing we can say from knowing that God created the heavens and the earth, God is self sufficient. Did He need something to love? was he lonely before he made the earth God didn't create because he needed something you see if at one time there was only God then God must not need anything and I don't know about you I have a difficulty in relating to anybody who doesn't have any needs because apart from God I don't know anybody who doesn't have any needs as for me as for you we're very needy. Some of the things we, we need, basic things like water and air and food and shelter and clothing. They're just our physical needs. But we have emotional needs as well, don't we? I need somebody I can share my frustrations with when I've had a bad day. Uh, somebody I can share with uh, when I feel let down. I need somebody to share with when I feel lonely. And I have spiritual needs as well. I need somebody to save me from the consequences of my sinful behaviour. Uh, Just think about our physical me for a minute. If you went without food for a prolonged uh, period of time, what's that like? Have you ever been on a diet? Weight watchers, Slimmer's World or whatever they call it. I never think about food as much as when I'm on a diet. Everything seems to take my mind to food. How long is it? Uh, when you're not eating, before you recognise how needy you are. Um, That's why the concept in the Bible of fasting, of going without food, in Scripture, when we take away something that our bodies need, it doesn't take long before we realise how frail we are as human beings. It teaches us our dependency on God. But God isn't dependent on anyone. And that means he's under no obligation to anyone else. You and me, we're interdependent. We need one another. We're designed to be uh, that way. But God isn't like that. He's separate from his creation. And if ever he'd needed his creation, his creation would also have existed forever. But it didn't. He made it at some point in time. So God is self-sufficient. He doesn't have any needs. And in contrast, we need a lot. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And from our verse we can answer the question, when did God create? Our verse told us that God created in the beginning. If there is a beginning, then there must have been, if you can speak of it in this way, there must have been a time before the beginning. And in that time before the beginning, only God existed. There was a time, again if you could say it now, a time when God was the only thing that there was. Again, I don't know about you, I find it hard to get my head around that, but he's the God who is before the beginning. He is in the beginning. He is in the present. And he is to come in the future. Uh, So we see another way that God's not like us. He's eternal. He's not bound by time. And it's very difficult to understand. What are we like? I wonder if you've ever had to rush to get somewhere. You set off late, the roads are very busy, you drive too fast, and you arrive all hot and sticky and out of breath. Everyone is busy. Everyone's got somewhere to go. Everyone has too much going on, and we're all trying to juggle so many things at the same time. God is not like that. God is never like that. He's never in a hurry. He's never early. He's never late. He exists in the past. He exists in the present. He exists in the future. And that's another reason why God knows everything. He doesn't know what the future is because he's good at predicting things. Not a kind of Russell Grant kind of character. He knows because he's already there. God is eternal. He never hurries. He's never late. He has all the time that he needs. But I'm not like that. You're not like that. How do we see people portrayed, pictured in the scripture? The Bible tells us man's a mist, he's a vapor. So not only are we bound by time, we're incredibly bound by time. There's a time limit that we can't shake off. But God isn't like that. The God who created in the beginning, he was, and he is, and he is to come. Knowing that God was in the beginning when there was nothing else tells us that he's self-existent. He doesn't depend on anyone else to give him life. He has life in and of himself. He's always existed. And he doesn't rely on anyone else. He's uncreated. Now if we took a sheet of paper and we drew two columns and in one column we listed everything that was created and in the other column we listed everything that was uncreated. There would only be one thing to put in our uncreated column. And that would be God. And everything else would go in the creative column. Everything that we know uh, in our physical environment that we live in starts and ends. And we don't know how life is given to it. We could talk about the biology of it, but where does life really come from? It's given to us by a God who needed no one to give life to Him. So he was there in the beginning, when there was nothing else. When he looks at creation, God can say, I was there. This is my work. I'm the one who was there in the beginning. Where were you? I don't know whether you've ever seen a group of kids. It sometimes happens with adults. You go to a restaurant and it seems that one of the chairs is better than the others. Um, and it's in the best place at the table and everybody makes a grab (laughs) to sit in the best chair and you hear children say that's my place I was here first the basic understanding of human beings isn't it that if you're there first it's yours Okay. well let me tell you God has the ultimate claim on I was there first he was there first and everything is all his There's an ownership issue at stake here. Everything that we see, everything in this creation, it doesn't belong to us. We weren't there first. God was. It's all his. And that should change the way that we treat the creation that God has given to us. What if you ever stayed at someone else's home or... Perhaps in a caravan or a holiday home that a friend from You say to the kids, be careful, don't break any, don't damage anything. Treat the place with care, don't bounce on the beds. Um, and if you know the owner, you can put a face owns the place. And before you leave, well you go around, you spend a day cleaning up, don't you? All that bleach and stuff that you use. You clean the place from top to bottom, everything sparkles. It matters. That you know the owner of the place. It changes the way that you treat what is loaned to you. So how do we treat God's creation? Do we see it as something for which we are caregivers, or something for which we are consumers? You know the owner. How should you treat what is given you to use? God is eternal. God is self-existent. We don't want you want your anchor to be the God who is eternal and self-existent. You know, no one knew that God was self-existent better than Moses when it was time for him to go and talk to Pharaoh as God had commanded him. Moses asks God, who should I tell the Israelites has sent me? And God's response is this, tell them that I am has sent you. That doesn't sound very helpful, does it? He could have said, the God of our fathers uh, the God who is really much stronger than all the gods of uh, Egypt, anything like that. I mean, I am sounds a bit vague to me. But God is saying something that no one in this room can say. Only the God who has the power of life in and of himself. Only the God who is uncreated. Only the God who is not bound by time can make the statement I am. I am in the beginning. I am in the middle. I am in the end, says God. How did He create the heavens and the earth? Well, we can see that He created it by His power, and He creates it by His word and His will. So, incredible power is shown at the creation. We can see that another way that God is not limited in His power. He doesn't have have a lot of power, He has all power. If you think that in the beginning there was nothing but God it makes sense that all power would be his because where else would it come from? And any power that we see in the hands of people is power that's been delegated to them by a sovereign God. So God has all power and men have not so much power and God is sovereign in the use of that power. That means not only does God have all power, but he has authority to use it just as he wishes. He uses power as he pleases. By contrast, men, even Mr Putin, even Mr Obama, even Mr Cameron, they have only delegated authority. But God is unlimited in his power and his rule because he is he's the I am. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God doesn't tell us the science behind his creation. Think about the complexity of it all. How would we have understood it if he had? In ancient Egypt, uh, people believed in alchemy, uh, turning ordinary materials into gold. In the Middle Ages, people believed that the planets went around the earth today men feel as though they have an accurate view of how things work, I'm not so sure when I was younger the first series of Star Trek uh, they had computers that could talk to you uh, and when Captain Kirk was down on the planet he had this little flip thing and he could talk to the starship Enterprise we thought it was all crazy, what? that'll never happen but here we are Although I'm still looking for a chance to teleport to my holiday destination rather than getting one of those aircraft. Well, science changes, doesn't it? And we're convinced uh, today well, never happened those kind of things. But it could. What we are convinced today of is we've got the final word on something. But actually, it can change. We laugh at what people thought was true even 150 years ago, much less 2,000 years ago. God knew the science of the people Moses led couldn't handle the complexity. In some cases, they were just wrong. But he didn't bother to correct them. Because as he's writing here, he's not concerned about science, actually. He's not concerned about the high. How, sorry. He wants us to know the who and the why. God does not prioritise our science and our concerns about that. Because God's more concerned about our, the- our theological concerns. Science wants to trace the footsteps of the one who created. Theology wants to know the person who created the footsteps in the first place. So God's omnipotent. He has unlimited power. We have only delegated power. God is sovereign. Unlimited authority. We've got only delegated authority. You want your anchor to be the God who is sovereign. The God who has all power and all authority. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. There's another thing that we could know about the how of creation. The word that's used for create, God created the heavens and the earth, wherever it's used almost exclusively in the Bible, it's almost always to show that something entirely new has been done. Uh, God is not creative like my wife. She uses her Christmas money. It never runs out, her Christmas money. And she goes to the shop and she buys fabrics and cottons and she makes beautiful quilt things. She gets the stuff and she makes something out of it. But God started with nothing. No stuff. And he spoke and there was something. He didn't gather together some kind of rough material and turn it into what we see. He started with an absence of anything. And then there was something. And that is just a level of creativity that's beyond me. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of how about creation. And I read somewhere, someone said, it's probably better not to shout where God only whispers. Why did God create? Well, Psalm 19 tells us that God created to display his glory creation doesn't add to god's glory it doesn't enhance god's glory god is glorious god is infinitely glorious he can't be made any more glorious and he can't be made any less glorious god creates not to add to his glory not to enhance his glory but simply to announce it and that's why where we find our purpose why are we here as part of God's creation you were created not to add to God's glory, not to enhance God's glory, but to announce God's glory, you are an announcement of the glory of God let me finish by asking you a question, you can know all about God and still not personally know God himself, still not have a relationship with him and we can do what we were designed to do and exalt God. Or we can do what we want to do and exalt our souls. And I wonder will your life announce God's glory or your own glory? Do you know about God or do you know Him? The one God who created the heavens and the earth. The one God who knows everything. The one God who doesn't need anything. The one God who's always been there the one God who is all-powerful and has all authority, the one God who is amazingly, perfectly glorious. I wonder if he's the anchor of your life. I do hope so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for speaking to us through your word, the Bible unless you spoke Father we would know nothing and unless you help us to understand we'll not be able to understand what you say to us because you are amazing beyond our imagination you are perfect beyond our understanding and yet you were very kind you spoke to us you spoke to us about our need You spoke to us about how you sent your beautiful Son, God the Son, from the glory of heaven to the earth to die on a cross, Father, to be raised on the third day, to ascend to heaven, and to rule on your behalf and on behalf of your people. Please, Heavenly Father, please speak deep to our hearts, about these wonderful truths over the next eight or nine weeks, Father. Please help us to anchor our souls in the God of the Nicene Creed. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.